Welcome to Let's Talk Governance, a podcast to support regional West Australian non-for-profit groups to lead and steer their activities with high impact, confidence and compliance. The podcast is brought to you by the Grower Group Alliance and made possible with the generous support of podcast sponsor, the CBH Group. Your host is Ricky Foss of the Grower Group Alliance, and our expert guest for this episode is not-for-profit governance advisor, Caroline Robinson. The Grower Group Alliance is a WA statewide network of around 60 farmer-led grower groups that are all run with volunteer committees. Established by grower groups for grower groups over 20 years ago, today member groups extend from Kununurra in the northwest all the way down to Esperance in the southeast. Across the network, the groups have a diverse collective membership of around 4,000 farm enterprises, operating in all sectors of the agriculture industry at all different levels of scale and purpose. Hello everyone and welcome to our Let's Talk Governance podcast. My name is Ricky Foss and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Grower Group Alliance. Let me introduce our Guest Governance Advisor, Caroline Robinson, who will be delivering all the technical content. Caroline is an experienced not-for-profit advisor and has delivered the GDA's governance e-course for the past two years. Caroline has also worked with the committees of several GGA grower groups to write their strategic plan. A graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors with a Bachelor of Commerce, Diploma of Education and Cert 4 in Human Resources. Caroline has founded, led and supported numerous not-for-profit organisations in rural Western Australia. Caroline is also a farmer in the Shire of Narrambeen so understands very well about rural life in regional WA and is passionate about organisations that support rural Western Australia's vibrancy, growth and essential services. One final impressive fact about Caroline is that in 2011, Caroline was awarded the AgriFutures National and Western Australian Rural Woman of the Year. Welcome, Caroline. Let's talk governance. In today's podcast, we're going to focus on a collection of the most frequently asked questions you receive from not-for-profit organisations in regional Western Australia. Now, let's turn our first question to, so what happens when multiple board members have a conflict of interest? And how do we get board members to acknowledge they have a conflict of interest? Good question. This is uh, very common. And because we have such small communities, we can often have not just one, but multiple perceived or actual conflicts of interest. And it is very difficult. But uh, let's just start with familiarising ourselves with the role and responsibilities of board members under the Associations Act of WA. So board members must uh, make judgments in good faith for a proper purpose, not have a material personal interest in the subject matter of the judgment. Um, They need to inform themselves about the subject matter of the judgment to be made and they need to rationally believe the judgment is in the best interests of the association. So that's under the Associations Act. And as a member of the board of an incorporated association who has a material personal interest in a matter being considered at a board meeting must, as soon as the member becomes aware of the interest, to close the nature and extent of that interest to the rest of the board. And best practice is to disclose it at the next general meeting of all of your members. So the conflict of interest must be recorded in the minutes and it's a good idea. Well, it depends on the complexity of your organisation, but it's a good idea to include a summary of those interests in any annual reports of the association. 
However, we have to be practical and uh, in our rural communities, a lot of us hold different positions across multiple organisations and sometimes we, we generally have a conflict of interest and we can't be part of that discussion or that decision making. So always ensure that you identify that conflict of interest. Another board member can raise it through the chair and say, you know, that board member I think has a conflict of interest. And you need to just make sure that it's a transparent process and determine exactly where that conflict of interest arises. So as an example, you know, you could be talking about a project and um, you could be someone delivering some services to that project. So um, you really need to say, well, I've, I've got a material interest in this discussion and this decision making. You need to raise it in, in that meeting, minute it, and then the rest of the board has a discussion about um, whether you stay or you leave the room, and that's depending on the conflict of interest. But the best practice is to avoid any indiscretion and to leave the room during that discussion and decision making and ensure that you have no part in, in the voting of it. Okay. And obviously, as you said, in rural communities, there is lots of discussion around if it's a, an actual true conflict of interest or a, a perceived, and that certainly is an, an interesting one that boards need to to consider when um, making decisions. To find your local grower group, head to the Grower Group Alliance website, gga.org.au. While you're there, subscribe to the GGA newsletter, Newswire, and be sure to stay up to date with the activities and opportunities from the 60-plus groups around WA that make up the vibrant and diverse Grower Group Alliance network. I guess our, our next question moves to politics. It's uh, it's always an interesting space, but let's talk about a situation where a board member is outvoted on an issue and, and how do we go about that? So this can be really difficult for members of the board and it's really good to have robust discussion and to have differences around the table because otherwise life is going to be very bland. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but you know, members of the board, they're there to act in the best interests of the association and that you must understand that once a decision is made, you must commit to it and, and you really shouldn't be out there then speaking publicly against it. But having said that also, you know, the fundamental thing is that when you're sitting around that table and having these discussions, you, you must be able to f- speak freely and confidentially at a board meeting and you must be respectful to everybody and the chair um, sets that culture and the discussions around the table and how the decisions are made. Board members can absolutely speak against a motion and have it recorded if they feel strongly about it. And a board member, if they feel really strongly about an issue, you can then say to the chair, can I meet you afterwards and, and let's let's have a discussion about it. And of course, I'm assuming that there's all proper processes and communication um, and documentation in the background with all of this. But um, you must, yeah, it, it is very difficult in rural communities because we all know each other and, you know, we all need to still have a beer with each other after these board meetings. But if I could say one thing, it's, it's you need to um, have that respect for others around the, around the table and particularly the majority of the groups are volunteer-based. People are giving up their time and energy and it's quite okay to be outvoted, but remember you're part of a team. And you've all got to go in the in a similar direction. Absolutely. In rural communities, you do all have to live together. I think there's some some key words and key points you pointed out there. And obviously a lot of board members are in sitting in a voluntary capacity. 
respect is the key for all of this. And again, the chair plays a really important thread ensuring that respect and useful conversations are had throughout this process. So um, some really good points there, Caroline. We move on to the next question around AGMs and often AGMs do create quite a bit of anxiety plus also time in, in what is required to get an AGM together. What is the role of a returning officer at an AGM? Yes, I think we often forget that we need to appoint a returning officer at, a, at an AGM and, and their role is to conduct in its entirety the election of the board at an AGM. And generally this role includes attending the meeting, declaring the positions open, receiving nominations, accepting the nominations, declaring formal acceptance when nominations close, conducting the draw for the positions on the ballot paper if that's required, counting the ballots and providing the results to the association. The returning officer should not be a candidate for any position being contested in an election or seen to have any affiliation with or show support for any candidate. It needs to be someone that's a bit independent. And, you know, the role of that um, returning officer is to provide some impartiality to that appointment process. And unless the constitution specifies it otherwise, uh, the returning officer may or may not be uh, a member of the club, but they certainly uh, have an important role at an AGM. Yes, absolutely. The returning officer plays a a very important role. Owned and controlled by around 3,800 WA grain growing businesses, CBH Group is proud to be actively involved with and supportive of the communities we operate in. We do this through our Community Investment Fund, and a large part of this fund is committed to building leadership capacity in our regional communities. We support and deliver programs that build strength, resilience, knowledge, and skills for future industry leaders to work towards a sustainable and profitable grain growing industry. For more info, head to cbh.com.au. Another question that comes up quite frequently is in terms of the terms and board members servicing their term. Should we have length of office for board members? And, and is this a deterrent or, you know, how, how do we decide our, our length of service? Yeah, this is a common discussion point, Ricky, and there's pros and cons against both sides of this. But in considering the tenure of a board member, you need to assess the long-term interests of your association and whether it would be better served with greater flexibility in a board member's term of office or or not, whether you're going to be quite rigid. But your constitution's a tool that can facilitate that long-term good governance of your association. So your length of office should be uh, written into your constitution and it's actually a requirement whether they, you know, a terms of office, you know, has one cycle of AGMs or multiple years. You might have one of those really fantastic, invaluable board members or you will have some that definitely need to retire, but it's it's absolutely about culture. What you attract to the board is an indication of how well you're performing. So read your constitution first to determine those lengths of office. You can amend your constitution to ref- reflect your strategic direction, you know, following consent of your members, so that you can tie the length of term to your strategic forward plan. You can have things like a succession planning policy. That's another little tool. But if you are deciding whether you have set terms or just it just continues and rolls on, 
Um, a couple of things that the board could do before they make that decision is is conduct a skills matrix to determine what your association needs now and in the future. You can uh, certainly do a little bit of a performance review on how well you're performing individually and collectively. And that could be simply at your last meeting of the board, having a beer or cup of coffee and talking about what you've been, what you've achieved and what you haven't achieved. If there's yeah, if there's people that you think, you know, like you can't find people or you, you need people to leave, then include succession planning on your um, agenda. And the other thing is um, I, go, I go back to um, your role on the board is around influence and engaging. So your role is to find people to replace you and, you know, you need to seek those people out and plan and know when those people want to retire. But it really comes down to what you what the role and the responsibilities of that member of the board is as to how long they stay on that board for, whether it's set or whether it's quite flexible. But you certainly need to talk about it amongst the board before it becomes an issue. Great. I think a, a really important tool that you have raised there is the skill matrix. I know a lot of boards are going down that path now to really identify where the gaps are and to ensure that they have the right skills going forward. Not always easy in um, rural towns when you've got limited numbers, but certainly a, a very good way to to cover that off. I think also, again, a true indication that the constitution really is your guiding light mm. going forward, And but it can be changed if it doesn't suit where you are at a point in time. So I think that's important because quite often people get quite nervous about changing constitutions. But as you say, um, they can be changed. Yeah, they can. And it's, it, it, you shouldn't look at it as um, a too hard a process. You just need to have enough ample time, you know, to lead into bringing your members along for the journey to change that constitution. And yeah, terms of office, Ricky, is, a, is so common across our regions. And for, for positive and negative, you can find those, those clubs and associations that have ripper board members mm. and they don't ever want them to leave. And then you've got the other side where... There's members that definitely need to leave and they can't, they can't, there's no mechanism to do that. So yeah. go back to your constitution and use that as a tool to help Absolutely. you. Use it as the guide. Yep. Is your event visible? Attract traffic to your agricultural industry event by featuring it in the GGA statewide events calendar. Circulated fortnightly in the newsletter Newswire, the Grow Group Alliance calendar is the most comprehensive calendar for the Western Australian agricultural industry. Featuring your event is free. Head to the Grower Group Alliance calendar webpage to submit an event at gta.org.au. Okay, on to our final question, and it's an important one about relationships. We have touched on it briefly at some point, but I think it's a, a really good one to thrash out for the end is, can you discuss the dynamics of the board and the CEO relationship and, and what importance that plays for an organisation? Yeah, it's, it's critical and it's really important. And the biggest thing when I see issues coming up with uh, associations and organisations is that there cannot be a capture of either party in that relationship. So you can't have the chair capturing the CEO and you can't have the CEO capturing the chair. And you can't be too close either. And in rural communities, I see this a lot. We just forget that there is a a very, I don't know what you call it, like it's an invisible line that you just have to know which side of that line you sit on. So both roles need a very clear job description to create that framework, you know, 
on which side they sit. Otherwise, it can get horribly messy. It can get unclear. And that's when you see problems arising and, and sometimes a breakdown of relationship. But one thing with that chair and CEO role is to, is to meet regularly and to remain professional. And this can be very difficult in our rural communities. But I'm a firm believer when there is a work relationship, it absolutely must remain as that. You are friendly, but professional. Don't blur the lines without making too big a thing about it. If you feel the relationship is too close, then you can conduct a performance review as your role as the chair, or you could ask this amongst your fellow board members is, you know, what have I done wrong here? But if the chair and CEO relationship breaks down, there's a couple of things you could do. You could have an informal catch up over a coffee to discuss that work relationship. You could discuss it in confidence at a board meeting to generate ideas amongst your fellow board members, obviously without that person present. Um, You could review some relevant policies and procedures which might document that delegation and relationships or you might have to have that formal meeting which requires that courage muscle. But yeah, I'll just go back to my point, Ricky, that, you know, when you're a chair, you're in a professional space and, you know, that could be for the smallest association that employs only one person Mm. or it could be for the biggest association with, you know, lots of employees. But it needs to remain professional because when it doesn't, that's when you get into trouble. Absolutely. I really like your wording around courage muscle. It's a, an important thing and I think if people can take that away and, and use it respectfully and in terms of the chair and CEO relationship, I think the, the thread that's coming through again is respect and um, being respectful and also developing those boundaries within that relationship are really important. For the GGA member groups, we do have a great webinar on the chair-CEO relationship delivered by another one of our governance experts, Peter Fitzpatrick. So look it up in the resource section of the GGA website if you'd like to do a deep dive on this. So that's a wrap. Caroline, it's been so, so valuable having your experience across these three podcast episodes. We've just recorded on the frequently asked questions that you've encountered in the not-for-profit space we do really appreciate your expertise, your your sense of humour, your on-the-ground experience and thank you for being one of our guest experts on the GGA Governance Podcast. Thank you very much. We've come to the end. We hope you've enjoyed the content in this episode of our Let's Talk Governance Podcast. Resources around governance for grower groups, including where to connect with guest expert Caroline Robinson, can be found on the Grower Group Alliance website at ggA.org.au. Before we go, one final acknowledgement to our podcast sponsor, the CBH Group, who've been right behind this new way of making governance guidance really accessible to the Grower Group Alliance Network and any other not-for-profit stakeholder groups tuning in.